This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Welcome to our Late Boomers podcast. Today we welcome Jackie Nett, former Playboy Bunny, fashion model, and actress who became a college instructor and international yoga teacher and author. She was one of the first women of color to be a Playboy Bunny and became the longest standing training bunny in Los Angeles. During that time in her life, she was a regular on TV shows, Playboy After Dark and Love American Style. I knew Jackie when we were both bunnies together. During her tenure as a bunny, Jackie earned degrees in theater arts and interior design and art. She discovered yoga and began her yoga training that led to her lifetime career as an Iyengar yoga teacher. For 25 years, she was a faculty member of the Advanced Studies Program at the Iyengar Yoga Institute in San Francisco. She teaches yoga throughout the Bay Area and at her own studio in St. Helena, California. And she conducts yoga workshops throughout the world. She was born in Mississippi and lives in St. Helena. Say hello to our listeners, Jackie. Hello, listeners. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Mississippi, about your family, maybe how you came to be a Playboy Bunny and what attracted you to it or how you ended up in L.A. Mm -hmm. Um, I was born into a family that was very well educated. Um, And my father was a doctor. My mother was a, um, a school teacher. And education was important. You had to have an education. Um, I was interested always in being a movie star. I wanted to be a movie star from a very young age. In fact, my mother said when the first time someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up, which was always a question you ask little ones, she said, I said, I wanted to be an actress. So uh, when I left, uh, when I graduated from high school in 1962, Um, My mother, before this, my mother used to go each summer, she would go to a university all over the U.S. to uh, work on her master's. And the last two years of her um, training, it was at UCLA. And, And so I would come, we would come with her and, um, I learned about LA City College that had a very strong drama department. So when I graduated, I came to Los Angeles to become an actress. Mm -hmm. And I uh, enrolled in the LA City College 
drama department. And from there, um, my father, who supported all of us, it was six of us, um, as long as you were in school, he would financially take care of you. But once you finished school, or if you flunk out of school, the money would stop. Mm, that's so, a motivator. <laughs> so close, <laughs> close to the ending, the last semester in uh, theater arts, one of my friends, I always remember his name, Drew Burns, one of my friends knew that I would soon not have any money. And so he said we were doing the play Oklahoma, and I was in a dream sequence in Oklahoma, in the uh, saloon girl, because I had to wear this costume. And he said, that costume looks like a Playboy bunny. You should become a Playboy bunny. And I, I didn't know what a Playboy bunny was. I didn't even know what a bunny was. But looking back in my mind, I remember going down Sunset Strip when they had the, they call it the teenage uh, revolution. All the teenagers would take over Sunset Boulevard and, and they would have cars and this big parade of cars. And I remember going with my friends at that time and passing and seeing this, seeing these ladies with costumes on sitting in the window looking down didn't know that they were bunnies. Um, so he got me an um, appointment because we had, um, it was on Thursdays, every uh, one Thursday each month, they had a open um, interview. So he got me an interview. I went in, the bunny mother was Alice Nichols at that time. And Joni Mattis was health's private secretary. And those were the two who interviewed me. And when I went in and I had to put on a shell, they said, you're too thin. I was very skinny. And so they said, in so many words, you're not so many words, you're too thin. And in so many words, don't call us, we'll call you. Oh. So in, in <laughs> this was in, 67 and they didn't you know they didn't have answer machines or I didn't have answering machines and I was living in Whittier of all places in 67 and right across from Whittier College and um, the next month I went in and I apologized for not being there when they called me and I remember them looking at me really strange and Alice said, well, you're still too thin. And Joni, I was walking to the elevator and Joni was walking and I had gone to the elevator on my motorcycle. I used to ride motorcycles. And on the back end of my motorcycle, I would always have my makeup bag and my clothes. And I went into it and I changed and went in for my interview. And she thought that was really cool. So. I said, well, I, at the interview, I said, well, I'm going to go home to Mississippi and I'll gain weight. And she said, they said, you do that. <laughs> two months later, two months later, I did get a call. 
And I, I was in Mississippi and my, I said, I gotta go, I gotta go. My father gave me the money. I got me a ticket, I came right out. My mother sent my things out. And it was right before the, I guess, Labor Day in September, the holiday. I went in for the interview. Alice said, you're still too thin. Joni said, you're hired, because Joni had more power than Alice. I mean, yeah, Alice. I went down to the bunny room, and I was fitted. And I started my day first day on a Friday after the September uh, Labor Day. Is that Labor Day? Labor Day holiday. And I came in with my white shoes, and they gave you the the polish, the polish for your costume size. They taught us how to, to taught me how to take care of the bunny tail because it was the original bunny tail. You had to brush it every night and, <laughs> and shape it and spray hairspray on it to keep it in place. And, um, and I was my first job. I was cigar, cigarette, camera bunny. Oh, and, yeah, in the days of smoking <laughs> in yes. the clubs. And I remember um, going cigars, cigarettes, and someone would always say antiparellos and started to laugh. And I never understood what was funny, but it always, someone would always say antiparellos and the whole table would laugh. And I'd go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and so that but from started, there, from there, you became a training bunny to train other bunnies. I, I became right. a training bunny. I was the worst bunny in the world. I were? I was the worst bunny in the world. And I remember Mr. Mr. Dudley used to come. He was the general manager. And he would come up. He came up to me close to the third month because you had three-month probation, remember? After yeah. three months, you would be uh, reviewed again. And he came. I remember he came in the and sat me. Uh, he sat in the living room in the entrance and he sat me and he said, Jackie, you got to do better. He said, you got to do better. He said, the only reason you're staying here is that you're so happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. nice. Good one. And so, I, I mean, it really shocked me, but I was terrible. I couldn't learn anything and I just decided that I was going to do it. And you had to earn your way from the playboy, from the bar to the living room, to the showroom, to the penthouse. And I decided I was going to start. In fact, I started breaking. When we break the bunnies, I would start taking over two bunnies so I can get faster and faster. And I had to study and study and study because I didn't want to lose. I enjoyed my job. Mm -hmm. And I became good at what I did. And I earned my way to the penthouse. To get to the penthouse, you had to be able to serve for each show. And there was three shows at that time. We had to be able to serve two rounds of drinks, a meal, and hopefully a round afterwards. And um, I would, you would have to, it was an hour between the show and the service, three settings. And I got to be very good, very good. And then I earned my way into the VIP room. I was the first black bunny and the English-speaking bunny in the VIP room because 
the original VIP room, you had to speak, uh, be from another country and speak another language. And most of the bunnies didn't even speak English. And so there was uh, Mr. What is uh, Mr. Uh, Noel? Noel Stein was the was the general manager, and he came down one night. And after work, sometimes we could go into the bar and drink. And so he came down. He was a little tipsy, and I was a little tipsy. And I said, you know, Mr. Stein, there's a lot of it was at that time, colored people, a lot of colored people that come into this uh, club that's not represented in the VIP room. And that just came out of my mouth. I wasn't being political. Oh. I wasn't being, I was being drunk. And so what to say? That's, you know, next week I was on <laughs> being trained for the VIP room. And with, without another language. Right. Without a, without another language, English yeah. speaking, English speaking. And then after, I don't know how, oh, I asked Alice, I told her I wanted to be a training bunny. Or was that Judy, Judith? I think it was Judy. Judy, I told her I wanted to be a training bunny. And that's when I became a training bunny. And I came along around that time with my singing group and performed in one of the showrooms there. And then my singing group broke up. And when I got hired, they had moved to Century City and you trained me for, because at that time, by the time I got hired, you had to go through rigorous two weeks of training with tests, written tests, oral yeah. tests. Everything. Always. And you were Always. tough on me. So by Always. that time you were like the best. You know, I was the best. We were all I kind was, of a little afraid of you. I know. <laughs> In fact, but for the Century City Club, I I rewrote the manual, so whatever I said went. And I <laughs> and I was tough. I was tough. I remember Shane came in. Was Shane with you? He, I think she came after I was there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shane, Shane came in and she wanted to do the hey sister, you know, we're all we're sisters here. And I said, eh, no, you're a trainer. I train you. There's no, there is no, just because we are kindred skin color doesn't mean you get a, a free pass here. <laughs> but, the, but the ladies I train, and I always call them ladies, the ladies I trained, they were good mm -hmm. because the sir. Service was good. That service, Playboy service, was was very beautiful. When it's done correctly, it was very beautiful, and um, I really um, enjoyed training. Although I I was I was very difficult, but you learned. And you're still training now. You're a I, certified Iyengar yoga teacher. Right. What drew you to yoga, and Tell our, tell our listeners what Iyengar yoga is. Well, Iyengar yoga, yoga, yoga asanas, um, it doesn't matter the different style. So there are different approaches to the asana. There are different approaches to yoga. What Iyengar yoga basically is, is the asana, meaning the posture, done with uh, precision. So there are certain systems that they just have posture flows and you go along and you do your flow. Um, 
there's some, some that are more like hot yoga that they have their sequence, but the atmosphere, the environment is hot. Iyengar yoga is um, very logical. And it goes to me because I understand systematic things. It makes sense to me. Uh, my interest is in anatomy. So mine is, I like looking at the body as a structure. I bring in um, my art because in, in art, there's balance. And so to me, it's an art form. I tell people that I am an asana teacher. I teach you how to move your body. I teach you to understand why your body moves this way, that you have to you have to honor how your body evolved. First, there was evolution. I tell my students, our, our species last long, uh, started long before we did backbends, you know, long before we did dog poses. We don't need to have a dog pose for our species to survive. At the same time, if you're going to be doing the asana, honor how the body moves so that we don't produce pathology, we don't produce injury. And with all the contortions that some of these people can get in, I'm not one that can do a contortion. But even in contortions, if you understand how the joints move, how the body move and all the different configurations and we won't produce as much pathology. And so Iyengar yoga, we all have the basic training, but at the same time, different people will bring out what they're interested in. Like my husband has the training, but he loves meditation. So he, has that more in his system of teaching. I'm not interested in, in meditation or teaching someone how to be a good person or, or lecturing to them on any of the sutras. I'm not interested in that. You know, and I have, I've had people because I did teach psychology on the college level, humanistic psychology for um, five years. And I have people write and say, will you teach a workshop like this? Would you teach a workshop on, on um, the COVID, you know, the psychology of the God? I'm like, no, I'm not going to teach any psychology about anything. I'll teach you how to straighten your arms. I teach you how to move your body. I don't get into the psychology of a person because you can enter, you can in, in, in yoga, in asana, you can injure a body by giving the wrong instructions. You can help a body by giving the, a good instruction. You can also injure the person's psyche. And the injuring of a psyche can last longer than the injury of a body. Because I can look at a body and say, I can see, I will say, do you do swimming? Or have you been a dancer? Or you have a back problem? I can see that in the body. You can't see that in the psyche. And sometimes you can, you know, lay trips on people or think you're helping them and you can cause injury. 
And so I just don't, I just don't go there. Uh, so oh, that's, I don't, that's a really good, you know, observation about the human condition. Right, right. Because a lot of people come to yoga and I will, you know, say, you know, why are you here? There's some people I'll ask them, well, I want to learn how to meditate. I want to learn how to quiet my mind. I want to, or they will get to know you and they'll start telling you problems about their life. And this is not what I'm there for. You know, I'm there to be, I can listen to them, but I don't give advice about problems, uh, psychological problems. I tell you how to straighten your arm and how to help your back. Other than that. <laughs> Which is very valuable, certainly. Right. And you yeah. developed also something called the felt sense method. So yeah. tell us what that is and why you created it. The felt sense method is uh, the title of the system that I developed. So there are two forms of incontinence. There is stress incontinence, where if you pick up something, if you jump, if you sneeze, if you laugh, if you do this, the body puts out um, a stress, a, um, a, a pressure that's called Valsalva. It's a Valsalva, like if you sneeze, if you sneeze, if you pretend you sneeze, you can feel that pressure pushing down. So that's stress incontinence. I had urge incontinence, or I have urge incontinence, incontinence, where you're going along happily, going along, and then you gotta go. And anything between you and the bathroom, you're gonna run over. So wow. I had urge incontinence to the point I was in, I was going to school and I started teaching at, at Santa Rosa Junior College. And so I had to drive through a lot of the a wooded area on the old roads. I mean, I got, so I would pee on the side of the road. I would have a cup. I would pee in the cup. I would do anything not to wet my pants. And I, um, I never wore pads. I couldn't wear any protective garments. It wasn't my persona. I was a, you know, ex-bunny. I was still wearing, wearing thongs and thongs yeah. and pads. Just those two just, <laughs> just, just didn't go. So one day I was practicing and I felt this contraction in my um, pelvic floor. And so I went to Gray's Anatomy and I started looking up where I found this contraction. And in Gray's Anatomy and a lot of the older books, whenever they give an example of anything, it was always from the male. And then they would say, and, you know, the female. So I saw the male. And what I felt and what I found was the muscle that helps with erection, which females have also. And so I start getting to understand the pelvic floor muscles. I was talking to a very close friend and I was telling her about what I found. And she said, well, Jackie, I don't have incontinence, but 
it's very embarrassing to have sex because she's had several kids. She said, I make a lot of sound. And then I realized there's a lot of women in yoga that don't go up into a headstand or don't do certain things because when they go up into some of the some of the inversions, air is taken in into the vaginal area. And then when they come down, it makes the sound. And so they avoid doing certain things. I didn't have that problem. Then I realized that there are two different conditions. One I call vaginal flatulence, where there is the, the vaginal area. When you go upside down, it's like a bellow. It will take the air in, and when you come out, it makes the sound. I didn't have that problem. So I work with so the felt sense method. It depends. If you have vaginal flatulence, then you work a certain way. If you have incontinence, those are different muscles, and they're very small muscles. So the felt sense method is being able to, number one, sense where this area is. Some people say, go and sit on the toilet and try to stop your pee. Well, if I could stop my pee, I wouldn't have a problem. That's the whole problem uh. is that I can't stop it. But what I learned how to do in my system, I have 16, 16 steps, 16 steps, which I call playing with your pelvic floor because there's a lot of women when they have a, a pelvic floor dysfunctions, they are very ashamed. You know, you don't sit down with your friends and having lunch and say, whoops, I just wet my pants. You don't do that. So they, there's, there's people who, they're women, and I was doing this, writing it when I was teaching psychology and one of my main courses was Psychology of Identity, which was an upper division course. And so the people that stayed were return, usually returning women, older women. And because it was humanistic psychology, we did a, a lot of self-telling, self-discoveries, and rewriting about yourself. And so what I found was women who had this dysfunction didn't want to talk about it and they would talk about it as it and not me and in humanistic psychology and how i taught psychology you had to write from the i narrative because if you start writing from the they us you know them then you are not taking the responsibility so you had to write from the i narrative I have the pelvic floor dysfunction is I have this. They would say it's I is down there, the black hole. I don't want to talk about it. They would they would negate it. And so you would have to honor it. You have to honor your condition, make friends with it and start from there. Because if you don't make friends and honor it and say it's not something you did, it's whatever happened, this is where you are now.
right? And it's got to be so this, helpful. Yeah, yeah this so is helpful. where you start for it. Yeah, yeah. And did you publish? Did you publish yes. that? Yeah. I, yeah, so I people have, can uh, look it up? Yes, it's called A Crack in the Mask. A hmm. Crack a, in the Mask. Yes, a holistic approach. So it's A Crack in the Mask. It took me 12, 12 years to write. It's actually in three parts, I was told. And it was my personal journey. Um, it has life stories about me and how I looked at my and what I went through with my journey into honoring my pelvic floor. Then I give you the anatomical understanding. And then at the end, of course, it is some yoga because I was a yoga teacher. But the majority of the world, and I always said, now you can see it when I was writing the book, because I was 64 when I finished writing the book. Um, I said, used to say, if you want to see what is prevalent in our society, look at the commercials on TV. <laughs> Good point. And look what's on the sure. commercials on TV. You see a lot of incontinence. And when I started, I would ask the ladies, I said, do you have, you know, incontinence? And people were like, oh my God, you know, they would just, they would, oh no. And even when I wrote the book, I remember I was trying to sell it at one of the health fairs and it's a pretty cover, a crack in the mask. Oh, okay. A crack in the mask. What is it about? It's about incontinence. They would drop the book. Because, oh. because there's a, it's a persona a woman don't want to have the persona that I am part of this population that can't control their urine. That's true. And and so it was a very I I would if I would write it again or get it redone, I would change the title to um, something about for the health of the pelvic floor instead of incontinence. Once incontinence come in it blows it away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there different yoga positions you recommend to relieve the stress and anxiety caused by the pandemic? Oh, yes, there are. Um, huh. In the system, um, in they're called restorative poses, where you get in a position and basically learn to relax. It's not something for me, I don't um, give sequencing. Like people would, when they would say, I'll go back to when the pelvic floor thing, I would get these letters, these emails. Oh, I study with such and such. And then if our community, you know, the senior, senior teachers, oh, I study with such and such, or I have been doing yoga for such and such time. Can you give me a sequence? And I said, no, because it's not the name of the sequence. It's how it's done. And I can give you a name. So there's one that's called Bodhikanasana, which is some call it the butterfly pose, where you sit on the floor and you bend your knees and bring your heels as close to your pelvic floor as you can, and your thighs are down and you're sitting upright. Well, it's the alignment of the body that affects the pelvic floor muscles. So you always have to go back to 
how did we evolve? So if you're sitting here, and just because you're sitting with your feet together and your back is round and your knees are up and all these different things, oh, I'm sitting in Vatikanasana, but your pelvic floor and your pelvis is not aligned, it's not going to do anything. So it's not the sequence. It is how is it done. And Very you, helpful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And can yoga help older people stay healthier? And what do you recommend for those who would like to start doing yoga at a more advanced age that maybe haven't encountered it? How right. do you start? You, there are classes in our system. I have to say our system, meaning Iyengar Yoga. And I want to also, since people will hear my voice, I, Iyengar Yoga is for me. Iyengar Yoga is not for everybody. And I honor and respect any system that the person is doing. So this is about what is good for me. And I have two other approaches. I was certified by two other approaches before I came to Iyengar Yoga. So in the Iyengar Yoga approach, you, there are classes for beginners, there are classes for seniors, there are classes for um, therapeutics if you have injuries. So there are different levels of, of uh, classes. Um, one of my friends started a class, a Zoom class, for beginners that is for osteoporosis because she is losing. So you have these different approaches. We have the same teacher. You know, mm -hmm. we have that Mr. Iyengar and Gita Iyengar. Gita was my 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 uh, guru. Mr. Iyengar is the guru of, of Iyengar yoga. But um, so we have that same basic training, but the lady who just started her with a senior for osteoporosis, she works with that and she knows where to take you into on that level without injury. One of the things I would say is we don't want to, as we age and my, my, how I practice is that I practice for aging. I practice because you understand, especially for ladies, because we lose our calcium, osteoporosis, and men get osteoporosis also, we have to be very um, concerned, not concerned, we, um, um, diligent that we don't overdo we don't overload ourselves um, because our body is aging, our connective tissues, our ligaments and tendons are aging, and this is this is life. I, I will this maybe not have anything to do with it, but what came up. So we have this house that was built around a tree. And the, when we were building it, there's little insects cu cut out so that the tree can grow and spread over the house. We've been here for 40 years. This tree was big, so 40 years we have been, the house has been built around it. Well, now the tree is impacting the house. Yeah. And so 
my husband, who is aging, wants to fix the house, and he can't. I said, you know, things are happening. The tree is going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to age. And the <laughs> house is standing still, you know? So aging is going to continue to happen. So when you're doing your asana, there are certain things that you will lose because the body is aging. But you have to keep moving. You have to keep the joints moving. My sister, who, who's also, she was an orthodontist and she does research and she lectures with me on, on things. One of the things she says that I really enjoyed, and she says that movement is the heartbeat for your body, for your joints. You have to move them, and you have to move them in the way they evolved in. We can move joints the way we want to move, and it's also called breaking and and injury. (laughs) Yes. Good way to put it. I'm going to flip our subject a little bit because I want to hear about the work you do overseas because you've traveled, I think, to India, South Africa, and many of the European countries. And what, what happens when you go there? It's wonderful. I go to India to study. I, my teacher is there. Both of my teachers, Gita is dead and Mr. Iyengar is dead, but I still go there to honor them. And I've been, I went there for the first time was in 86 and I would go every practically every year to study with them. And now I am, uh, became in America in our system, we have certifications. And so I, at one time I was the highest certified black female in the world in the <laughs> Iyengar. Now I'm the second. My friend in Amsterdam became high. <laughs> so but she's I'm your friend. She's my friend. So I'm the second highest. So in our system, when you get to be a certain level, like senior level, then you can travel and be invited to other Iyengar systems. So I have gone to South Africa. I teach in, in Italy. I have taught, I teach in um, Poland. In fact, in two weeks, I'll be doing a Zoom class, a Zoom workshop for Poland. I have taught, I teach in Germany a lot in, um, in uh, Finland and in Switzerland. Wow. And so, yeah, so when nice. I go there, I, I teach, you know, and and um, what I teach is whatever they they're interested in my I don't teach therapeutics, which is, you know, I don't go and fix someone. I don't fix you um, and I don't teach psychology, but. What I do teach, I say, I'm not here to come and I don't come there to show you what I know. I come there to service you. So if you're, and you know your population, usually they want me to talk about, especially in Poland, they're interested always in the pelvic floor. 
and then they're interested in how I look at anatomy and asana. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. What teachers, friends, relatives have had the most positive influence on your career? Um, Gita Iyengar, Judith Lassiter, Gita Iyengar, and Mr. Iyengar. Mr. Iyengar, of course. Um, Gita is his daughter, and Judith Lassiter. Judith Lassiter, she, she's not in the system anymore. Uh, wonderful teacher. She's a relaxing and renewed teacher now. But she got me, and it was indirectly, to understand the importance of anatomy, to really understand the medium you're working in, because you're working in a medium, just like painting. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that. And there's a lot of injury that has happened in yoga where movement looks like, oh, that looks like the way it should be done, or it sounds good. And the student is always going to try to do what the teacher says. And you can produce injury. So she, it was very important uh, for her to, when she was teaching it, to understand the body. And she's very good at it. I wish I had her knowledge. But um, I teach the way I teach. And I'm very good at that also. Great. <laughs> and what are you doing to advance your craft during the pandemic? And what do you have in the work for the future? What do I do in the pandemic? I, yeah. pra I practice. Mm -hmm. I practice um, because um, once a month, sometimes twice a month, I teach um, anatomy class. Like yesterday, I taught a class on the shoulders that how many muscles that are attached to the shoulder blades. You know, there are 16 to 18, depending on how you, you can count them and how they affect your movement and how they assist in your movement. And um, so uh, when I lecture, I go back and I study. I have anatomy books. When I had to prepare, they said to prepare for evacuation from the fire, what I put in my car was a skeleton, three, <laughs> anatomy, three anatomy books, a book that my son wrote in second grade. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's great. And so you, along the way, you've had time to raise a son and everything. It's really yes. fantastic. Yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Is there anything so, you'd like to tell our listeners that we didn't talk about today? No, I only answer questions. If you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's it been like living through those fires? Because you're in the heart of Napa Valley. I'm, I'm yeah. in the heart of I'm in the heart of Napa Valley, and and it's very interesting. I'm in Saint Helena. Was buried. It's like the fire went around us, and the area I live in. It. Um, it, the fire would have to would have to have a very strong wind 
um, and a lot of am embers to get here, but we have a lot of vineyards around us too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the one concern I had is we have trees, oak trees around. Um, and I thought, well, the fire can get into the oak trees. Um, and, but that didn't happen. Uh, my son came over and he's a heavy equipment operator and he was also one of the, the firemen. He worked on, along the fires. He came over and he was pointing to leaves that were on the ground that were burned, which I had seen them. I just thought they were black things on the ground. And I was really surprised to see all these leaves that were not from, they weren't oak trees that had been blown over onto the property. That's frightening. Yeah, yeah. So um, also what I did is when they said to prepare to evacuate, I went through and I took pictures. But also it was, I have so much stuff in this house that I took my three books and my one skeleton. <laughs> After 40 <laughs> years, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. four, four days of clean clothes. And I looked at it and I said, well, you serve me. If it goes, it goes. And I just let it go. And I just, just let it go. And Alan said, well, you know, if the house burned, we have insurance, but we won't be able to build what we have now. And I said, but we'll be able to build something different. Yeah. And, and let it go. And I also said, I have one son who, and we have my mother's stuff, his mother's stuff, his father's stuff, my stuff, our stuff, and one son that don't want any of it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So if it burns, at least he doesn't have to worry about that. Jackie, <laughs> thanks so much for this chat today. And, thank you. And thank you, Jackie. So nice. We'd like to thank our guest today on Late Boomers, yoga expert, teacher, and author, Jackie Nett. You can find Jackie on her website, www.com. IYNV.com and on YouTube, on where she, you can find her on Jackie Net Yoga. Yoga, and she also has a Facebook page. Yes. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was nice seeing both of you, Kathy. I just love you, I've always loved you from bunnyhood. <laughs> bunnyhood, I can see you. Throwing that hair and walking around with your tray. <laughs> <laughs>
Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers, eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.